I was trying to look out the door, but it's gotten so warm in here, and it's cold outside, and it's all fogged over. I can't tell if it's still snowing or not. It's not. Naturally, we called off service tonight, and the children's thing it'll quit snowing now, and we won't see any this afternoon. It's just the way it goes. All right. Anyway, take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews. To Hebrews chapter 11. As in this Advent season, we continue to talk about faith. I, I thought about when uh, Todd was reading the scripture a while ago. Uh, it uh, was a common mistake to say Moses there. Uh, we had a, I don't know if you, there's an old trick question, joke, you know, how many, how many animals did Moses take on the ark? And 90% of the people who get that answer two of every kind. They don't realize it wasn't Moses that did that. But it's, I'm defending you here, Todd. Just, he's just coming back in from children's church music. So that's, that is a common mistake to make many times. But Noah is indeed the one who took the animals on the ark, who built the ark, and who was a man of faith. I titled the sermon today, Noah. Now there's a man of faith. And I hope you'll see why when we're through this morning as we move through this. So re- listen to God's word again. Just one verse out of out of uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. If you recall... We have already talked about two men in this hall of fame of faith. And one showed us the worship of faith, Abel. He brought a blood sacrifice to God, where his brother Cain merely brought a grain sacrifice prior to, to uh, bring, and did not bring a blood one first, which had to come first for atonement to take place. And we saw that it's by faith that we come only by blood to really worship God. And, and that blood is now covered in Christ Jesus. That is his blood which covers us and makes us fit for worship of God. So in Abel, we saw the worship of faith. And then last week, we saw the walk of faith in Enoch. Enoch was a man who walked with God, by faith, he walked with God. He trusted God. He, he, he didn't live a perfect life. He was a sinner like we are. But, but he walked with God. He trusted God. And because of that great faith, it says that God took him and he didn't see death. Oh, what an amazing thing to be able to say took place in a man's life uh, because he had a walk of faith with God. Today, the writer turns his attention to the last person before he gets to Abraham, the great father of faith, father of the faithful. And he comes to Noah, who built an ark at the express direction of God. So in Noah, we, we, we will see worship, no doubt. He is a worshiping person. We will see a walk of faith, no doubt. But Noah specifically shows us, through the writer of Hebrews here, the obedience of faith. Or you might say the work of faith. See, there's a lot of people confused today that think that, well, justification by faith alone means there's no work involved. There's no works involved, no good deeds at all, and nothing could be further from the truth. James said, as we've already talked about in James 2.26, faith without works is dead. 
the writer of Hebrews has said that it's impossible to please God without faith, but faith without works is dead. Paul, who so strongly proclaimed justification by faith alone, also proclaimed that that faith is to lead to a life of good works for those who are justified. He said to, the, uh, to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he said, instruct them. Timothy was pastor in the church at Ephesus. And he said, instruct them, those at Ephesus, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In other words, instruct them that if they have been justified by faith alone, if they are in Christ because of faith, that does not mean now they just sit back and do nothing. Their faith will issue forth in good works. If they trust God fully, if they really have faith and have been justified, it will issue forth in works. He also said to the Ephesian Christians, uh, he said believers are in fact created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. He said, listen, works are to be a part of the Christian life. Now the, the thing that Satan does is he comes along and he twists that and distorts that. And he convinces some people that they will be saved by doing certain good works. And you have a lot of people in a lot of Baptist churches and a lot of other churches around this country who think that they are right with God because they are a good person. They have done good deeds. They have, they have you know, reached out to people and they've done benevolent acts and, and because of their goodness, they must be right with God. And Satan loves to get people convinced that all they have to do is do a few good works and balance the scales. That's more Islam than it is Christianity. Balance the scales and everything will be all right. That is a lie from Satan. But he also takes others who have, have come to faith in Christ and he tells a, a just as destructive lie. And that is, if you have been justified by faith alone, then, then now you have to keep doing good works in order for God to let you stay in. And there's this, this, this idea of legalism that says, man, I've got to do everything by the dot and the tittle and I've got to keep every law and every rule and every regulation, many of which I make up for myself or culture makes up for me, but I've got to be good for God so God won't kick me out after accepting me in by faith. That is just as much a lie. There's a third lie Satan likes to tell people. And that is that you have been justified by faith alone and so don't worry about anything. Live any way you want to. Do whatever you want to do, man. You're, you're, you're secure. You're safe. There is truth that if you are justified by faith and faith alone in Christ, you are secure in Christ. But Paul makes it clear and the scripture makes it clear that that faith always, not sometimes, not maybe, not hopefully, but it always issues forth in good works. You say, well, are those what keeps me saved? No. Then, then what is the purpose of them? Well, again, I've quoted this before, but my favorite statement of that was written by Dr. Jesse Mercer, or Pastor Jesse Mercer, from the early 1800s in Georgia when he said in his statement of faith, he said that good works justify us only in the eyes of men and angels. That's just a great statement. They don't justify us in the sight of God. They don't justify us before God. God knows our heart. God knows whether there's faith there that has, been, has, been, has caused us to be declared just. But good works justify us in the sight 
of angels and of men. That is, lets the angels know we really know God, and it lets other people know that. There's an evidence of faith that works itself out. Noah is a great example of that. When you look at his experience with the flood, and his faith may even be a little better, a little stronger, a little more rich than sometimes we even give him credit for when you come to this point. I, uh, I was reminded this past week when uh, Todd was doing the youth thing on this, and I was, he knew I was coming in with it on Sunday, and he sent me a, a study help on my, uh, a link on my computer. And, and that study help was, a, was an old black and white television thing of, of Bill Cosby. I don't know how many of you have heard Bill Cosby's Noah routine. Uh, many of you have. Some of you are looking at me saying, who's Bill Cosby? I know. But uh, when I was a young person, when I was a child, I remember at home we had an old LP album. You know, it was, uh, and again, you may or may not know what that is, but it was a vinyl album that was uh, big, and you played it on a record player on a turntable. Yeah, I know. You don't know what that is either. But anyway, those, those were the, the Bill Cosby skits from there. And one of them was Noah. And, and Bill Cosby played it well. I, I think Bill Cosby got part of it absolutely right. You know, he said he was working in his workroom one day and, and probably building some furniture for the house, and all of a sudden a voice said, Noah. And he looked around, you know, and went back to work. And again said, Noah. I said, Who is that? He said, it's the Lord. Noah said, Right. After a few more episodes, he asked the question, am I on candid camera? You know, what is this? He said, no, I want you to build an ark. Noah said, right. What's an ark? I want you to make it 30 cubics, all these cubics. Right. What's a cubic? And he goes on and on. And the idea is that Noah was as shocked as anybody when the word of God came to him and said, Noah, I have looked across the earth, and you are the only righteous man. And we find out he's righteous because of faith, not because of his own goodness. He's, he's a fallen man. He's a son of Adam, just like everybody else. But, and he's fallen. He's sinful. But he's a righteous man because he trusted God, and it was imputed to him as righteousness, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying there at the end of verse 7. He became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So, so God sees that there's this one man, and obviously his wife, who are trusting God, worshiping God, walking with God, and now we're going to obey God when God gave them a rather difficult call in their life. Now you look at that, and God says, listen, Noah, I want you to take your wife and your sons and your sons' wives and all these animals, and I want you to put them on the ark after you built it. Now, I don't know what you would have thought about if, if God had given you a direct order like that, but I think Noah was probably scratching his head because I not only would think, oh, he said, you're right, what's an ark, right, what's a cubic? I, I, I think he probably looked around his house about that time and said, what sons? Because if you look at the chronology of what took place, and I had a great PowerPoint, but it won't work up here, so I'll, I'll show it to you like this. It would have looked like this. Whoops, upside down. It would have looked like this. Uh, but it was very simple. They just showed, here's the flood. The flood took place when Noah was 600 years old. 
If you read more in the book of Genesis there, you find out that Shem, who was the oldest son of Noah, was born when Noah was 500 years old. So you back it up to right there. But if you read closely of what took place when God saw the evil on the earth and declared he was going to destroy it, that was 120 years before the flood. And so you back that up and the call of God probably came to Noah about 20 years before his oldest son was even born. So, so it wasn't just a matter of saying, well, I don't know what this rain stuff is. I've not seen rain like that. The dew in that day evidently just sort of moistened the land and the crops grew and, and there were fountains below and there were springs that sprang forth. But, but, but Noah had never seen rain like God is talking about and, and, and he had certainly never seen an ark built in the middle of dry land where there's no oceans around, where there's no real need for a boat of that size. And... and God said, build a boat. God said, I'm going to destroy the earth with, with rain and, and water. I'm going to flood the whole earth, and I want you to do that. But I'm going to secure, I'm going to save you and your wife and your sons and their wives when there most probably were no sons around. So there's a lot of promises in that call of Noah to Noah. There's a promise that he will be secured. There's a promise that he will be saved through the flood and all those he brings on the ark with him. There's a promise then I think also that you will have a heritage. You will not go on that boat, just you and your wife and a bunch of animals, but you'll go on that boat with you and your wife and sons that I'm going to give you and those sons by the time the flood comes will have taken wives and they will enter that ark with you so that there will be a lineage to start all over once the flood is over. And the scripture says Noah heard God's call. He, he heard what God commanded him. In simple words, he did it. Now, I, I don't know, I, I think probably there was some scratching his head and wondering and thinking, but there's no indication in Scripture he said to God, no, nah, I don't think I want to do that. No, Lord, show me why I ought to do that. Lord, what's the, what, what's the purpose of it? There's no water nearby. There's all these people. They're going to look at me and say, man, you look like some kind of fanatic. You look like some kind of idiot. You look like, like somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, building a big boat, a big ship out here in the middle of dry land. There, there's no debate. But God said to Noah that you are to take that, do that, be obedient to me, and then preach and tell of the impending and the coming judgment. Uh, in that passage that, that Todd read a little bit ago out of, out of Genesis, there's, there's an interesting word there, and I'll just give this as sort of an aside, but I think it does have meaning to it. But when, it, when he talked about going in and how he was to do this, building it 300 cubics and 50 cubics and 30 cubics and all those cubics, putting a window, uh, uh, make a window for the ark and all these other things. And then he says, I, I want you to take pitch, I know it's there. There it is, verse 14. I want you to make the ark of gopher wood, make the ark with rooms, and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. That word, now we, we understand pitch as being sort of a tar-like substance, something that would waterproof, something that would seal it. You do on the inside and the outside so that it, if it gets through a little bit on the outside, it won't get through on the inside. It protects it so it will stay afloat and be able to do what a boat is supposed to do. You take that and, and he says cover it with pitch. The word pitch that's used there in the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, has an interesting root. 
it's the same root word, and if you understand Hebrew, which I barely do, but I did take some of it in seminary, understand Hebrew. Hebrew is an interesting language. It basically has three letters as a root for every word. And then you have prefixes and suffixes that go on to it, and, and you try to figure out what it's talking about by those, but you look at that root, those basic three Hebrew consonants that are in the middle. And, and they may be the root for other words too, but, but the root of the word pitch is also the root of the word atonement in the, in the, in the Hebrew. The atonement, as we understand it in Christ, is a covering, a sealing, a securing of those who are in Christ Jesus. Pitch that, that Noah used on the ark was to be a covering and a sealing, and a securing. There's the same root word there. There's the same idea of this pitch that covered the ark and, and the atonement of Christ that covers believers. I, I don't know, but I think there may be just a little foreshadowing, a little, little hint of that which is yet to come. But Noah did what God instructed him to do. He took the ark, and he built the ark, and he populated the ark, just as he was told. The writer of Hebrews makes note of three things, basically, about Noah's faith that give proof that Noah's faith was genuine. In verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. Remember what faith is? Faith is the, the hope of things not yet seen. Faith is believing in something that we don't see with our eyes. It's, it, we saw that in the first part of this, uh, this chapter. It's assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. Noah is acting on, Noah is believing what God warns about, what God says about things he's not yet seen. He's not seen rain. He's not seen this expulsion of water from the deep that rises up and floods the old earth. But being warned by God about things yet seen, in reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. The first thing we see is that Noah responded to God's word. That's always a characteristic of true faith. Noah heard God, and he responded in obedience to God's word. And it says there that he did so in reverence. Reverence is a holy fear. Reverence is standing in awe of. He heard God and he responded with reverence. It wasn't flippant. Now, we can probably say that the Bill Cosby routine and, and, and this movie that was made a few years ago uh, about the ark uh, that was kind of a comedy, you know, is kind of an irreverent look at it. There was nothing irreverent about Noah. Noah heard God, believed God, and acted on what God had instructed him to do. That's how we're to live. That's, how, that's what proves our faith is. You say, well, God doesn't speak to me like he did to Noah. No, quite honestly, God probably speaks to you a lot clearer than he did to Noah. God has given us his word. God has given us his truth. God has given us his, his, his scriptures by which he spoke through the Holy Spirit two holy men, to write this down so that you and I, thousands of years later, can read and understand what the heart and the purpose and the mind of God really is. We can have the mind of Christ through this book. 
And God speaks to us as we meditate on it. God speaks to us as his Holy Spirit enlightens that word to us. Paul makes very, very clear. So by faith, Noah responded to God's word. Secondly, he rebuked the world. Uh, you know, it says there he, he reverently did what God called him to do, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. And then it says, by which he condemned the world. You know, Noah was, was a man of God in such a way in his life that just his very act of obedience was a condemnation to those who looked on. But we have every indication that Noah spoke to his neighbors. He pled with his neighbors. He, he told them the door would be open for just a time to get on the ark, to obey God, to turn from their sinful ways, to come to repentance, and nobody did. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They thought he was a, a wild man, a crazy man of some sort because of what he was doing. But he was a rebuke. He was a he rebuked the world through his actions of obeying God. That's part of the reason why if we obey God and if we truly seek to walk with him and truly seek to worship him in the fullness that scripture instructs us in, we will be a rebuke to the world and the world will not like it. Understand that. I mean, that's just a clear teaching of scripture that if you are obedient in your faith. It's not just a cultural thing. You say, oh, I believe in God and I believe he's real and blah, blah, blah. But there's a, there's a living out of what God has said and there's a desire to be obedient, not to be made right with God, not to earn your salvation, but just because you trust him, because you have faith in him, because you have been justified by faith alone by his work, then there's a desire to live it out. The world will feel very, very threatened by that. And it will serve as a rebuke to them. It will serve as a rebuke in their sin. It will serve as a rebuke to, to all that's transpiring in their life. And it will be a condemnation to them because they do not believe, because they do not trust in Christ. And then the third thing, that we see here that's so clear is that because of his obedience, because of his faith that led to obedience, because he was demonstrated by the way he lived in front of the world, it was a rebuke to them, he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He became an heir. An heir is one who receives from somebody else. An heir is someone who does not have anything of their own right. They receive something that is not theirs by, by, by natural means. They, they, they receive it from one who grants it to them, whether it be in a last will and testament or whatever. They receive it. They are heirs of what is given. The right of Hebrews says that Noah was an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Turn back with me right quick to Philippians. I want you to, to see what Paul said about that. Philippians chapter 3, where Paul has talked about who he was 
before Christ, starting in verse 3, or excuse me, starting in verse 4, he talks about, I had confidence in the flesh. I, I, if anybody had a right to do that, I far more, because I was circumcised on the eighth day of the, of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is found in the law, I was found blameless. Paul said, you know, all these good works I was on top of. I had the perfect religious heritage. I had the perfect religious activity. And I thought everything was right. But then verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, that is my legalism, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And listen to verse 9. And may be found in him. This is what I want. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. That is, not having legalism, not having that which people look at and say, oh, you're a good man, oh, aren't you a good person? Aren't you so fine? But rather, I want to have that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The writer of Hebrews says he was an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah's included in this hall of fame of faith because of the work that God did in his life based on his faith. He changed Noah. He, he made Noah new. He, he made him something that he wasn't. And, and out of that, Noah, by gratitude and because of his love for God, obeyed God in every way when he was called. His faith led to obedience. If you're in Christ... Your faith will lead to obedience. Your faith won't, I mean, your obedience won't get you faith. Your obedience won't earn you salvation. But your faith in Christ, which is the basis, the foundation, justification by faith alone. The just man shall live by faith, Paul said in Romans chapter 1. That faith will work itself out in obedience, in a desire to bring pleasure to God, in a desire to demonstrate to a world that is falling apart who Christ is, what Christ has done through the cross, and do that work of living it and speaking it and demonstrating it to a lost and dying world. Noah responded to God's word. Noah rebuked the world because of his life, and he received God's righteousness. All of those are classic marks of true and genuine faith. Those are the classic marks. There are no others. Faith is, faith is not demonstrated by going to church. Although if you have faith, I believe you'll go to church. Faith is not demonstrated by just reading your Bible or praying once a day or 
whatever faith is demonstrated by obedience. Faith without works is dead. Faith that issues forth in works is alive and vibrant and real and genuine and God-given. So Noah, Noah was a man who had faith. Now there's a man of faith. Question is, will we be men and women of faith? Hearing him, obeying him, trusting him, and walking with him, even as we worship him. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that your word is true. We are grateful that through faith we can be made right with you. And when we are made right with you, we live what takes place in our life. Father, we pray this day that you will continually remind us of that. And keep that in our hearts. Lord, I pray today for men and women who don't know you. Pray that your Holy Spirit will grip their heart and break their heart over their sin. I pray, Lord, they won't be like those in Noah's day who were shut out of the ark because of pride and stubbornness and self-righteousness, but who will fall on their face before you in repentance and faith. Father, thank you for the example of Noah that you have given us in your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.